0: On this episode of Clinically Pressed, we sit down with AJ, uh, Dr. Jagam, who is one of the founders and co-hosts of Clinically Pressed, and our frequent flyer guest, Andy Asco, who is currently working on his PhD at the University of Illinois. Um, In this episode, we talk about alcohol and athletes, and really kind of cover a broad range of what alcohol can do to an athlete or just the general person who's trying to increase their fitness. Um, There's a lot of cons in alcohol with athletics, just in terms of what it can do to your body and your performance, but we also touch on some of the potential benefits when everything's used in moderation and in different times and specific instances. So a lot to be covered, very interesting episode. We hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to this episode
1: of Clinically Pressed. We are on with AJ and Andy, um, two long-term staples on the podcast. Um, and today, I mean, we've been AJ and I've been talking about this for a while, but we are talking about alcohol and athletics, and really um, trying to focus on the whole spectrum of how that relates. Uh, first off kind of looking at how it can be detrimental to performance and recovery and the different things there. And we'll let um, AJ and Andy get into the science of all of that uh, with protein and everything along there. But then also talking about it that we're not trying to necessarily make it like just the anti of everything when it comes to alcohol as recently seen. If you hadn't and go check out Andy's Instagram, you can still perform at a relatively high level while potentially under some said influence of alcohol. So really, we're just going to kind of cover all the bases, provide some really really interesting things, probably some take-homes. I know for me, I'm looking forward to this because it's something in working with college athletes. You try and educate them on, you understand it's part of college, it's part of what they're going to do, but the more you can educate and try and maybe mitigate some of those things, hopefully you get a little bit better results in the long run. Uh, So first... I think we want to kind of get into, like, basically what effects does alcohol have on the body?
2: Yeah, and kind of before we get into that, I would think an important part of that is kind of setting the stage of really what we're talking about. And usually I think most a lot of the research kind of is focused on this kind of timing window of what happens after a game or an intense bout of training or exercise session if you then go and ingest alcohol, what is it doing to how your body would normally respond to that again, intense game or training session. So there's, I would say some literature out there, not a lot. It is a bit of a challenging kind of area to, to do research in because there's a lot of, I guess, limitations and barriers when you're providing alcohol to subjects it gets pretty tricky in terms of how you're monitoring the safety. What are they doing after they drink is you go send them out on town, you know, are you bring them back the next day. It makes sure that you regulate how much they slept, ate, all, all those things. So it is a pretty tricky area of research to do, but there is a handful of studies that have looked at kind of that post um, re- post-exercise recovery period. And unfortunately, as you said, it's it's not a great picture in terms of how, Acute alcohol ingestion can impact a number of different kind of physiological responses. Uh, looking at kind of protein synthesis or our, our muscles ability to kind of start the repair and recovery process um, from an immune response standpoint, hormonal response standpoint, even getting into sleep and quality of sleep. Pretty much you can go down the line and every one of those processes is hindered in some way with alcohol ingestion and it kind of seems to operate in a dose response manner the more alcohol you consume uh, the bigger of a reduction you'll see in protein synthesis response or reduction in testosterone levels bigger disruptions in sleep Uh, so you kind of name it you can pretty much just go down the line of whatever you need from a recovery standpoint to some degree it's being hindered by alcohol ingestion so in a perfect world, you just wouldn't do it because it's not going to make you a better athlete. Um, but in the reality of the situation is people are still going to do it. It's very much ingrained in society, especially in the sporting culture. Uh, it's kind of natural to go out and celebrate after a big win and go out with friends and, and definitely partake in some of those festivities. So it happens, and it's important not to ignore that, uh, but more so how can we – kind of combine what we know about the, the science behind it in terms of more of practical recommendations. So if you are going to do it, you know, what are some things that you can do proactively to potentially minimize some of those kind of detrimental effects? So that's kind of how I usually set that stage and kind of provide context to that discussion.
1: Research out there, I know you just said how it's really hard to obviously conduct it and you mentioned the dose response. Um, have you seen, like, is it a certain level potentially that where things drastically shift? You know, like we, we were talking about just off the episode of, you know, I'd talk with an athlete that I worked with that maybe just hurt their ankle or whatever during a game on a Saturday and whatnot, or, you know, there's basically beat up and talk to them about, you know, there's a difference between having a six-pack with your buddies and then not remembering the night. Um, and just in terms of what that's going to do to your body, um, have you is have you seen anything out there in terms of like potential numbers of drinks, or is it like a certain like blood alcohol level? I, again, that's really broad, but I, I don't know if there's anything that you've seen or even have either of you a general idea of it, if there's a a line, you know, if there's better recommendations to be made if that's going to be part of it.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there kind of is. I don't really have that at my fingertips. Um, a lot of the studies, I would say, usually do a pretty good job of investigating, a, I don't want to say a reasonable amount, but a, a practical amount that's, I guess, More effective enough. dose. Yeah, so, like, there's a handful of of rugby studies, <clears throat> you know, where they've given guys alcohol post-match, and the amount that they give is pretty – I don't even know. That that could be a can of worms depending on what kind of rugby player you hang out with but they like to have a good time and drink a fair amount and the amount that they're usually providing is again kind of relevant to how people would actually drink post-match but in terms of what that actual amount is I, I don't have that at my fingertips of where they do kind of see maybe that threshold where things really start to go downhill quickly. They usually, of course, science has always got to present things in such a a weird way. So the amounts that they're mentioning, it's not like they say seven beers. It's some type of relative amount of grams of ethanol. Yeah. Per kilogram body weight. So which is good to do. You want it relative to body size and everything. So you can replicate that, but it's again not as just easy as saying, no, this one looked at three beers, this one looked at six, nine, and twelve beers. They don't quite do it that way.
1: Thoughts, Andy?
3: Uh, So I'm not immediately familiar with that, that body of research so much. Um, But just speculatively, I would assume uh, the reasonable scientist or coach would, if you're going to do it, the minimum amount that you're willing to drink. Um, I would imagine that there's no, no real safe dose of ethanol that's going to Uh, not have an effect or have I I don't imagine it's like uh, this compounding effect once you get more and more intoxicated
0: Uh, but like I said
3: that's my best estimate based on knowledge of physiology and kind of how things work Um, yeah
2: And I think once you start even getting above, you know, like the legal limit, if we even use kind of a driving scenario where if you're blowing a blood alcohol level above, you know, uh, 0.08, 0.1, you're probably getting close to that point where going above that's going to have a much bigger kind of negative impact than if you're staying below that. Because if you are, that means you're probably having one to three drinks per hour, you know, depending on if you're a bigger person or not. Um, and that allows you to kind of stay within that level. And that means you're kind of metabolizing it almost as fast as you're consuming it. And so that could be one kind of just general recommendation if you want to think about it that way. Whereas if you're blowing a 0.24, you know, you've clearly been out at wristband night and putting them down quite a bit to get to that level. And you're, you know, there's no way you're waking up feeling great the next day.
1: So maybe we can get into maybe a little bit more of the science around like the protein synthesis. Um, I which I would have written it down. Dr. Wright went through a full spectrum of this with some of our athletes um, as we were gearing up for the spring semester in terms of what how it affects the pro, different protein um, synthesis channels and whatnot. But I remember at a talk I was at when I was an undergrad and I don't have the science to back this up, but I've kind of used it ever since. Is, you know, a night of binge drinking could potentially erase or obviously going to have a significant impact on any of like the adaptations that your body may have made over the last like seven to 10 days. Um, And again, you guys are much more into the physiology, um, Andy, specifically around protein from what I've gathered in some of our other conversations. Um, Thoughts on that or just your general comments on, alcohol's effect in terms of protein synthesis, general muscle function, um, this beyond the obvious of that, if you're drunk, your muscles probably don't function quite as well in most circumstances, <laughs> unless you can still pull over 700 pounds um, doing it. But um, <laughs> any thoughts on that?
2: Whew. Yeah, a lot to unpack there in that one. Um, Sorry, I, I think sometimes the easiest way to, to describe it. And I'll be curious to get your view on this too, but you can just think of any kind of intense training session. Like let's say someone, let's say football has an afternoon lift at three 30 or four and it's a pretty intense strength session. Normally in that scenario, that session is going to kind of flip a lot of those switches, a lot of those kind of regulatory mechanisms on that would kind of upregulate protein synthesis in that kind of post-training type of window and if you can kind of complement that with protein and amino acids, you're, you're definitely maximizing that potential for muscle growth and improved recovery and training adaptations. But what happens is if you throw alcohol into the mix, you're kind of turning that signal down a little bit so that you don't set yourself up for that same type of normal response and adaptation kind of to that response. So if you just do it once, it probably won't be – you know a huge hindrance but if you're doing that thursday friday saturday night you know and you throw in a couple other sessions or even a game on like a saturday night again each time you're doing that you're reducing that signal that normally your body could have benefited from and kind of just benefit from that adaptive response i guess i don't know andy if you have anything more on the specific ones i i again don't have a lot of that data at my fingertips on which you know, so, to what degree, I think it's usually about 15 to 20% reduction in protein synthesis rates is usually what they've seen, at least out of kind of that North Texas group that does some of that.
3: Yeah. So the paper that comes to mind, I haven't, I haven't dug into this literature deep uh, by any means, but just by virtue of Stu being on the paper and then Louise Burks on the paper, Vernon Coffee, I think John Hawley was the corresponding on it. Um, they gave a pretty hefty dose of ethanol. I want to say it was like the equivalent of like 10 drinks, um, immediately post-exercise. And then they did biopsies for Western blotting and protein synthesis rates. Um, And they found, yeah, alcohol combined with either carbohydrate or protein didn't, uh, I think protein, was higher than alcohol combined with carbohydrates, uh, like protein and alcohol was higher than protein and carbohydrate, whereas protein without the alcohol was still obviously higher. I'm trying to remember, I think there was downregulated NTOR signaling. Um, and one thing, if I'm correct, there was also uh, a decrease in peak uh, essential amino acids um in the plasma so it could be and likely is a multifaceted approach whereby uh alcohol both affects um absorption and digestion of nutrients so you have less of that uh substrate to signal the muscle and then again in the muscle you have this uh impaired metabolic function which affects the phosphoproteome. So we're not getting all these molecular signals uh, that lead to the assembly of translational machinery where then we have proteins being spit out. Um, And over time, like kind of what AJ was saying, I think uh, we're not in the practical yet, but I think practically speaking, um it's like anything like diet training. If you miss one day or you mess up one day, it's probably not a big deal. But yeah, if you compound this day after day after day, um, like you said, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you span that over the course of an entire semester, you're missing huge amounts of time that could have been beneficial. Um one important point, um, uh, just for the people who might listen to this, um, When we say protein synthesis, it's not necessarily a marker of hypertrophy. So people who are, I think, notoriously bodybuilders are super, I can't drink because it's going to blunt as protein synthesis. Protein synthesis is a muscle remodeling marker. So proteins turn over all the time. It doesn't mean it's necessarily getting bigger. Obviously you have to synthesize protein to get bigger. Um, but, yeah, anytime we talk about protein synthesis, I just feel the need to talk about that. <laughs> it gets bastardized quite a bit.
2: Yeah, definitely. And that you, you made a good point there, too, of how it's kind of a compounding issue. And that's, again, just focusing on the protein synthetic response. Like, there's also, you know, the hormonal piece that comes into play and then the sleep. And usually all of those together create an optimal environment for recovery. And so again, when you just kind of go down the line and you're, you're hindering each one of those that normally would work in unison, you just kind of get magnifying reductions as you go across the board. So you might not absorb it as well. You might not sleep as well. You might not have the right hormonal response or profile that you normally would in that situation, which also can be worsened by poor sleep quality. Um, hydration status might be lower if you're kind of dehydrated through the night if you didn't rehydrate along the way um, that can also play a role in that process as well so it's just kind of a perfect storm of what you wouldn't want I guess for optimal recovery following intense exercise or training not to say it completely abolishes it but it just doesn't help and if you're spending you know all that time and effort you just want to get get bang for your buck. You want to get something out of it at the end. Otherwise, you're taking one step forward, two steps back, or just certainly not getting the most out of it. So it kind of depends on what your situation is as an athlete and what you have, you know, coming up. If that's the end of the season and you just won the championship, go hog wild. It's not really going to matter at, at that point. But if you're – if you play in a sport that does back-to-back games or, for you know, you have maybe one day off in between and then you have another game, you'd probably want to think pretty hard about what you're doing after that first game. If you have another one, 24, 48 hours right after that, in terms of you, I would hope that you'd want to do everything in your power to really kind of recover to the best of your ability. And alcohol really wouldn't be a good option in that type of scenario. So again, always coming back to context, it kind of matters where you are in the season and what is coming up in the near future for you.
3: I also, uh, want to make one more point because I kind of breezed over it but I think something important because just thinking back to all the times in athletics when buddies want to go out or whatever uh, some people they try to uh, kind of blunt the effects of drinking by okay if I'm going to go out and drink I'm going to make sure I eat water I'm going to eat enough protein eat right but I think an important finding that that paper I was just talking about is if we even co-ingest alcohol With whey protein, which is not the most ideal source of protein in the world, but it's high in leucine content, it's rapidly digesting, it's a high-quality protein food source. Um, Even with co-ingestion of whey protein, we see a blunted protein-synthetic response. So meaning that even if you check all the boxes that you normally would, even if you could theoretically sleep well, eat right, hydrate well, all these things, it would likely be still ineffective to completely block out the effects. But that said, they did show that uh, co-ingestion with protein was better than co-ingestion with carbohydrate, meaning that if you can do all these things to check the boxes, you're likely handling some of that, that detriment. Like taking some part of that detriment away. Um, So that's something to think about if we're talking practically for, say, a a Saturday night and we have practice on Monday. um, Make sure we're doing things right so we can be up and out and ready for Monday.
1: Yep. Yeah, I was going to comment on the sleep. I'm by no means an athlete, nor am I competing in any kind of regular athletic activity, but just looking at my own like sleep data, you know, after maybe having, you know, beers throughout the day, you know, whatever maybe, but more spread out, you know, eating in between. So you're never getting the onslaught of like the mass quantities. My sleep tends to do pretty good. Maybe my heart rate goes up a little bit, but not significantly. Now, if it was a late evening, um, even if it's just a later evening and a couple drinks in a condensed time, like on Thursday night, bro happy hour calls or something of that nature it is almost like clockwork to wake up and look at my sleep data and my resting heart rate having my resting heart rate go up by eight to ten beats per minute you know that at its lowest point and my sleep quality to be much lower than it was and to basically have my aura ring tell me to just chill out that day um, because it doesn't think that i recovered at all and so I know I had heard that with other people that, you know, I've used tracking for it as well. And it was just kind of like, oh, you know, how true is that? Fairly true, at least in my case, yeah. uh, which, was, was, which was really interesting to see uh, when it comes to that. And, you know, that's something I've tried to relay back to athletes. Is again, like you go and you play and you put your body through, you know, the hardest thing you're going to all week, especially if we get done at night. So not only are you revved up on caffeine and ibuprofen, you're now going to go and consume however many drinks, plus then try and get up the next day to get going with stuff. Like it's just a terrible setup for recovery in order to get ready for that next week. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of interesting that you brought up the, you know how you
2: feel the next morning because we've focused primarily on consuming alcohol after a game or something and how it can impact recovery moving forward but it's also important to bring up if you have an early morning workout and you're out partying the night before and think you're going to be able to get up and be able to train at 100 percent the next morning like that's also an important kind of time period to focus on and you'll see a lot of the same things but you're just going into that session already in a compromised state so there again you're you're just not likely to get the same out of your training that you would have normally if you would have gotten the right sleep and wanted have done those things the night before so again whether whichever end of it you're on still probably not the best or the, the day before strategy to go with i guess
1: So, one, we were kind of talking about this off camera a little bit, and I actually just got done watching um, The Last Dance, which you, if you guys haven't seen, it's kind of inter- interesting. So good. Um, really good. But you see in that even, you know, Michael Jordan after a game in the in a series, like not the season isn't over yet, you know, drinking Miller Lights or whatever it may be, or if it's not that he was drinking, you know, guys – smoking a cigar like in the hotel room, you know, yeah. the day, the night before a game uh, which everything tells you that, that, <laughs> that, that you shouldn't be doing that. Um, and so we're, I know we were kind of talking about that, you know, we aren't necessarily going all the way to one spectrum where we're saying, you know, no, never not do it. Uh, you know, cause that could obviously be somewhat hypocritical, but also just, you know, there's people that do that, but I was just thinking about this the other day is, you know, when you look at probably most of the people that we're going to reach with this, aren't the elite top tier 1% of athletes, where they're so good at what they do that they can probably take a little bit of negative effects. If that's, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, in terms of having a couple beers or, you know, having a cigar, you know, it's, I don't know that he was fully inhaling everything and, you know, really compromising his lungs by any means, but that compared to someone that's trying to get the most that they can out of everything they can, because any big uptick, you know, it could mean a huge difference for them. You know, it's looking at a small percentage increase that can mean all the world to the best or because they're so good, it doesn't make a difference versus a huge up start for someone that's a division three college athlete or something like that. So long story short, like we were talking before, like I've heard elite level athletes that have had a beer the night before a race because it helps calm the nerves. It helps bring them down just a little bit and they go from there. My guess is if you remove the alcohol from that beer and they didn't know about it, they probably wouldn't have, they probably would have treated them exactly the same. So any just kind of thoughts around general use or if there is a good in quotes amount or safe amount or anything like that, that we haven't already covered.
3: I think athletes tend to just anecdotally, because um, I don't think that's a great question to be answered by science. I think anecdotally athletes who have a vast array of competition experience tend to have an opportunity to figure that out for themselves at some point so if you like generally if you talk to a newbie within their first couple competitions they either are so nervous leading in that they don't want to do anything wrong or they don't care enough yet and they just don't know what competing well feels like so I think um speaking from my experience um I had a pretty good idea of what I could and couldn't do the night before and I to be fair and completely transparent had quite a bit more of an upper limit on nights before uh, than a lot of other people did um as long as I kept the water flowing and the activity uh Like as down as I could not walking around too much not jumping around like an idiot I could have four or five drinks um, and not even miss a beat in the morning um, and have had more than that I think it's all about priorities um, which is kind of a cop out for that question but it's an important aspect of okay we're talking about like you said somebody who's bumping and grinding, trying to make it to the next level, maybe uh, uh, on the fringe of a draft or um, on the fringe of being recruited by a Division One, something like that. The answer is, do you value that night of drinking more than you value that night of recovery or the two days of recovery? Um, if you don't, then you should probably just skip it altogether. Um, But if you do value that night, you just got to take some precautions to try to mitigate as much of that deleterious effect as you can, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great way to approach it. And, you know, if that athlete knows that they're not going on to the next professional level and this is the only time they're going to get to celebrate with their teammates, and I don't think there's anything wrong with going out and having a little too much fun. Um, throughout the season as much as coaches probably don't want to hear that. But I think a lot of them are also realistic about it too, at least ones that I've worked with, even the EWL. They, they kind of understand that the players are going to do what they're going to do. And I think a lot of their message is usually try to be safe and try to do a lot of those little things. And I think that's a good way to approach it. And there's still probably athletes that don't partake in those things because they, they maybe do prioritize their – their season or whatever their goals are ahead of that and there's no right or wrong way it all depends on that particular person and same thing with their degree of tolerability I I think everyone's probably figured out the hard way of what their upper limit is of what they can get away with the next day I there I remember tons of times of playing baseball in the summer and just regretting all of my life choices the night before as you're sweating out in the heat and you can just like smell the beer in your helmet and it's just like man, that was a a bad idea, (laughs) definitely had too many, and, you know, so hopefully you just learn from those and figure out what works best for you, and and I think, you know, if we really get nitpicky about it, too, not only is the amount, but I think, at least for me, the type of alcohol that you're ingesting plays a big role, too, of whether it's, if if it's light beer, like, I don't want to brag, but it's like, that really doesn't impact me at all. I can have a, a pretty good amount of those and still wake up and feel okay but if you're drinking you know IPAs, IPAs all, I know, all night <laughs> yeah you're gonna wake up with a headache or if you're doing like kamikaze shots and sugary alcohol with a, you know a ton of caffeine and mixers and all that you're again you're gonna wake up feeling a lot different than you would if you had other types of drinks so again science really hasn't teased that out and I don't think they ever will that's Not really the kind of question that you see answered there, but from a practical standpoint, I'm sure everyone knows how their body responds to those different types of drinks. So that's also important to consider too, of really, what are you drinking? um, In addition to how much of it.
3: I also think that's a good point. Um, If, if we're talking about beers, that's one thing, but if we're talking about liquor, I think something that people don't really think about in the moment is like, what are you mixing with? So Mm -hmm. if you are like vodka soda, okay, but then you get into, like, rum and Coke, whiskey Coke, it's like, all right, it's a lot of sugar. Are you going to be able to handle that in the morning in your gut? And the worst is always, like, waking up after vodka Red Bulls or something like that. Right,
1: where you're combining the two opposite ends of the spectrum. (laughs) Not
3: only do you have the alcohol that's going to affect your sleep, but then you're slamming back 600 to 800 milligrams of caffeine that you don't really ever feel because you're also mixing it with a ton of vodka. <laughs> um, I think my MO when I was competing a lot was like just whiskey water or vodka water. That was a good way for me to balance or I've done uh, like vodka Gatorades or vodka Pedialytes. Um, but definitely, yeah, I've had plenty of experiences where you don't really think about what you're mixing with and that just comes back and bites you in the ass real hard Mm
1: -hmm. anything else specific we wanted to cover with this
3: uh i think it'd be interesting to hear from you guys your experience with uh what do you think i know you have a couple joel that I, i don't remember per se but your kind of way you go about mitigating the next morning effects like how you prepare for an event of drinking um everyone has their own little ways and i think it'd just be interesting to, to chat about that for a second
1: um for me it's really focusing on the hydration part of it um i i get into trouble uh in that i really enjoy the taste of beer um i just i it's something i enjoy a lot i enjoy and i enjoy the act of having like a bourbon um i've made the argument and i actually i saw something pop up the other day and i (laughs) wanted to buy it just to try it where it was supposed to be like alcohol bourbon and i just was curious as the taste because sometimes it is just that it's the act of having a small pour and you know whether you're reading or just hanging out like it's just being able to sip on something um and enjoying that it's not necessarily the process of drinking to you know inebriate yourself but anyway um i tend to start drinking those things because they taste good and i drink it like i'm just thirsty um and that can be troubling for me because that catches up quickly so it's really for me focusing on the hydration and i'm one of those that i get hungry when i drink for the most part so usually the food consumption is not a big big deal on my end um i'll do that but in kind of agreement with aj like if i know that it might be a longer night i would start out with a beer or two that i want to enjoy the flavor of you know an ipa or something along those lines but then we'll switch to the light beer because i just my body processes it so much better um not only from the alcohol standpoint but i think the ipa really messed with me in other ways oh, yeah. uh, as it comes from um i've heard from other people and i've never the bowl of in terms of buying it but like trying to load up on like glutathione as a amino acid to help mitigate it um in theory the best way to do it is doing something that is dissolvable like on your tongue um in terms of getting it into your system it doesn't do so well if you just take capsule form but in theory it just boosts that up to help th- your body process the alcohol through your liver so that you don't feel the effects as hard um and then I don't do a good job of this or I didn't do a good job of this and always have tried to do more is I need to stay awake a while before I go to bed. Um, That's one that I struggle with because I don't, I'm not a late night person anyway. Uh, But drinking water, staying up for a little while, you know, just letting my body chill then helps seemingly me sleep better um, on the back end, uh, which is, kind of my few things to take away that I that I've found. And again, it's just keeping it mindful. Um that's one question I want to ask you guys and maybe we can put this all into one thing is, you know, kind of like your one takeaway that you would recommend, you know, from this episode of, you know, around alcohol and athletes. And I just come back to me and working with our college athletes. Obviously I'd prefer them all to be twenty one uh when they went out drinking, uh knowing that's not always feasible. Um, in terms of my wants uh, for them in college. But, you know, there really is a difference between going out and having a good time and having a six-pack and not trying to go through an entire case in a night or, you know, the all the different random shots that, you know, keeping it in context. Because if you want to win and you want to succeed at this level, like, you need every advantage you can get. And so don't be upset that if you're not performing well yet after, you know, and you happen to lose and you go out and you get blasted and you come back and you don't feel like yourself till Tuesday. Don't be surprised when that doesn't work out as well as you had hoped. And there's things you can control. And that's, to me, that's one of them. Not removing your fun from being a college student, but that's something that's easily within your control. And I think those are the factors we have to take a look at.
2: Yeah. Especially when that, you know, if you really have a good time and that extends into the next day and you have one of those Saturdays where you're so so hungover, you can't even get off the couch till like three. So you're also not really eating. You're not really drinking. You're not really doing anything that Saturday. It's like now you've missed another day where you could have been just getting better as an athlete to kind of describe it broadly. Right. But you're probably, again, not eating enough overall calories, probably not getting enough protein, carbohydrates, you know fat vitamins minerals just go down the list if all you can stomach that day was like buttered toast and some water and rice you know because you're nauseous and just literally can't move and everyone's probably been there but again just think of if that's in season for you and if you have another game a couple days away or you got workouts saturday night sunday or whatever day of the week we're in again you're you're just not doing yourself any favors there one thing that may or may not help, depending on the intensity of it is you know i I remember being in college when people would say, "I gotta go work off that booze, you know and you'd head over to the rec center or whatever and just hop on an elliptical and try to you know burn off all the booze calories that you just uh, consume from more of like a kind of energy flux standpoint. but light exercise will kind of help at least make you feel a little bit better if you can. Not to say you should go out and do, you know, high-intensity interval sprints. I I would stay away from really intense workouts if you're really, I guess, hungover or hurting or didn't sleep much the night before. Um, Not really. You're going to, again, see probably compromised responses to that training session, but light activity um, will definitely help, I think, get you back to normal a little bit. So just another thing to consider as we get into the next day type of scenario
3: for me it's always mowing along hungover is perfect i got a big enough yard that is like 30 45 minutes of walking around in the sun and you just kind of sweat off and feel a little bit better
2: yeah for me a jet ski ride if i was at the lake waking up hopping on a jet ski in the morning was the best thing to snap me back to to real life not always feasible but <laughs>
1: uh so kind of ultimately in summary and feel free to jump in on this um kind of what i got is it's it's a risk versus reward type of relationship like if you're going to do it it's not necessarily going to be the end of what you're trying to accomplish as an athlete but you got to understand some of the risks that come with it that it could decrease your performance it can help it can help in the process of not recovering um potentially not getting all your training adaptations um, and all the things that we've talked about. And that's really got to be up to the decision of the athlete of, you know, I, for lack of a better description priorities in terms of what's going to make, make the difference. Yeah. And I would
2: add to like, if it's possible, try to do you know as we mentioned earlier, kind of checking those boxes. The sooner you can do that before you start drinking, the more it will help. So if you get done training again, going back to like a Friday example, if you get done at four, shower, try to get a good meal at like five or six. You know, maybe two hours before you start your pre gaming and wander downtown. Um, so give yourself some time in there where you can digest and absorb some of that food and you know, kind of start that recovery process, even though you may be somewhat hindering it later as the night comes. Um, but again, I, I think even that will make, make a big difference as opposed to going right from that four o'clock lift or whatever, the bam, you're going to start at happy hour and just start getting after it right away. Like that definitely wouldn't be the best way to kind of approach that from a timeline standpoint. And then, you know, kind of like you said earlier, maybe he's trying to shut it down, at least stop drinking around, Midnight, you know, depending on how late you're going to be out, and then maybe from midnight to one, you're just drinking waters and kind of winding the night down, and then trying to be embedded too-ish. I don't know. I mean, every college kid's different. I remember being out well past that, but
1: the John Tapper one for one infomercial. If you're watching Bar Rescue, <laughs> one drink for one glass of water.
3: Well, I think Jeffy. I think I think that brings up uh, my my big take home point would be have being somebody who's a little bit more rough around the edges as far as drinking habits in this call. Uh, the biggest thing that's, that's the most that's diplomatic, way diplomatic way I could come up to say, it. uh, but the biggest thing, even I developed it when I was training hard because I liked to go out and have times with my friends, drink a little bit too much, do, uh, as aj says have a little bit too much fun um but i also was pretty serious about my training luckily uh just i don't know what in me but i, I handle alcohol pretty well the next day as long as i plan for it so i think it's pretty rare <laughs> that you get surprised into a big night of drinking um my biggest thing is always like if i know i'm gonna whatever go out and have Too many drinks that night, gallons of water all day, probably some PD light. Get home, make sure I'll usually have half a gallon sitting out, waiting when I get home, make sure I get that down before I go to bed. Every time I wake up to go to the bathroom, chug a glass of water, and then it's right away hitting water and food in the morning, just trying to build everything back up. The worst days I ever have are when you don't really think about it. You wake up feeling hungover. You don't eat, you just sip on water, and then you feel like crap all day. Uh, if you can plan right, you're probably not gonna feel nearly as bad in the morning. And then also um, if you can just get after water and food, try to try to take a nap um, now that you're not just dying from alcohol being in your system. All these things were were huge for me when I was training at our level.
2: People would make fun of me when I would do that sometimes, like as I kind of matured in my drinking habits, I would do a lot of those same things, like kind of preparing to go out or preparing for the next morning already. Yeah. And people would be, can't you just relax and just drink and have fun? It's like, well, yeah, but I was kind of like you, like I, I knew kind of how to do, go about it the right way, I guess, to set myself up for not a complete disaster the next day. Trying to make it suck less. Yeah, especially if you were going to do it all over again the next day. I mean, we've all had those weekends where you know it's going to be a couple of hard nights or whatever you're doing for a couple of days in a row. Like, you know, I would always laugh at my buddies that couldn't get out of bed till noon the next day when I had already been up for several hours and already felt pretty good. And I could start getting after it again the next day if I wanted to. But, you know, so it all just kind of, again, depends on your situation, what you got to do. And. Yeah, the more – that's a great idea. The more you can be prepared for it, I think the better you're going to be able to take it in stride.
3: Even if it's not a physiological change, I think it's just – like even even if you wake up on Monday, say it was a – you partied Saturday, you wake up Sunday hungover. Even if you wake up Monday feeling fine, I just – there's been so many examples of like if you laid around feeling like shit all day the day before, you kind of still kind of feel like crap. But if you were up and out, you kind of forget about it. You're feeling good. You're like, alright, productive. Then you come into Monday just ready for the week, ready for training, ready for practice, game, whatever it might be. Um, I feel like, yeah. any the Minimizing the time that you're being torn down from the inside out I think is, is super helpful. Yeah.
2: And you can always just start having kids because once you're hungover with little kids in the picture, you'll never want to do that again. So that's a a quick deterrent for any of those kinds of activities
3: or be, uh, be a phd or <laughs> master student <laughs>
2: yeah that's probably what got you into the habit in the first place
3: yeah i think it was that first time i walked in the lab with jason oh,
2: man. i'll never forget nsca new orleans the way i saw you the next morning oh
3: yeah I wish <laughs> anything else for
1: this episode and then we can relive some of these things off off air when it comes to the podcast. What's your best hungover
2: or yeah, hangover remedy the next morning? What's your best drink or go-to breakfast food?
3: A gallon of pediolite with 3 sticks uh, or gallon of water with 3 sticks of pediolite Finish that within like an hour and 15 minutes and then have like a big breakfast, eggs, hash browns, whatever. But just a big meal and a lot of electrolytes and water. Even if you just piss away a lot of the electrolytes, I think you it's easier to drink because it's a little bit sweet, and then some of the electrolytes obviously you're sweating all night, whatever I think it helps a ton I me
1: mean, is just finding something of fluids that I'm willing to put down for whatever reason. sometimes water doesn't always seem good, so sometimes it's carbonated water or coffee might sound good on any given day. Um, different things there and then yeah getting some food in me you know I, I know people say you know sometimes greasy food is what it is but just a decent breakfast with something potatoes and whatnot in it seems to do the trick
2: yeah i always liked a good breakfast in the morning too and then my my go-to drink is monsters rehabs always snap me back into life
3: oh my
2: go-to drink
3: the blue monsters
1: well, I think that's about all we have to cover before we keep diving into wormholes that come up around this topic. Yeah, we
2: yeah we don't want to record the rest of these conversations.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> so with that, we'll have this. AJ, I think you said you had some resources maybe that you had come across, infographics or whatnot? Yep, I got a couple good ones, and then I, I found
2: that paper too that Andy was referencing that we can share with us. Yeah, it's um, a good one. Only if I was
1: Publish this out so you're, we can you're pretty good they they did give uh, 12
2: drinks is the amount that they provided so that's a pretty good pop to provide subjects
1: but we will link all that up uh, in the show notes when we get this episode released so you can be looking for that and some extra information there and until next time thanks for listening. all right cheers